What's up, friends? Welcome back to another episode of the Year of Plenty podcast. As always, I'm your host, Paul D. Wieland. And for those of you that are new, this podcast is all about building appreciation and knowledge around real food and those processes that bring it to the table. So you can expect to hear about food-related topics such as cooking, nutrition, you know, food history, foraging, hunting, fishing, gardening, farming, and much, much more. Today, I have another solo sort for you guys, so it's just me, no guest. And we're going to be exploring how mercury ends up in fish and what that means for us humans. So just for a quick overview, I'm going to talk about what mercury is, how it gets into the water and into fish and eventually humans. Then I'm going to talk about what that all means for us, like as far as health implications go. And then finally, I talk a little bit about the selenium and mercury ratio. Now, as a lot of you know, you know, over the last 200 years or so, due to industrialization, due to wasteful consumption practices, we've added and we continue to add all these toxins to the environment. You know, heavy metals, pesticides, microplastics, all those come to mind. And one of those heavy metals is uh, mercury. So let's talk about that a little bit. What is mercury and how does it get into the fish we eat? Mercury is actually a naturally occurring metal. And it can come in many different forms. For example, you know, if it's heated, it can actually even become a colorless, uh, odorless gas. And it's all around us in our environment. You know, it's often found in rock and soil. But the thing is, it can also get released into the air. And that's how it usually finds its way into the water. Now, how can it get released into the air? You know, there's natural causes, there's man-made causes. So natural causes would be like a volcanic eruption or a forest fire. And, you know, we don't have volcanic eruptions every day, right? Which is a good thing, but it's happened in the past. We do have forest fires, so that's one way that this mercury can get into the air. And then the other way would be these man-made causes, like, you know, burning fossil fuels or burning the waste of landfills. All these processes will release toxins into the air, and mercury is one of them. So the thing is that a lot of mercury will end up in the air. But it doesn't really stick around there for long because what goes up must come down after a while, right? So the issue with that is that a lot of the mercury that gets released into the air is eventually going to come down into bodies of water. I'm talking like oceans, you know, lakes, streams. We have a lot of water on this planet, so that's where a lot of mercury goes. So let me explain how that exactly works in more detail because we need to be aware of that in order to really understand how the mercury gets into fish and then eventually into us humans. So what happens is that this mercury will come down in the water and then these little tiny bacteria are going to take the mercury and what they do is they change it into another form called methylmercury. And like I said, mercury can take on many forms. This is one of them. But methylmercury is actually the ones that humans are exposed to the most because we're eating fish. So that's the type of mercury we're talking about when we're saying that, you know, we could get a mercury exposure from eating fish. Well, once these tiny bacteria turn the mercury into the methylmercury in the water, this methylmercury is then absorbed by tiny aquatic animals and plants like uh, plankton, for example. And then in turn, these uh, tiny aquatic organisms are going to get eaten by, you know, small fish. And those small fish are going to get eaten by small predatory fish. And those fish then get eaten by larger predatory fish. So you can see... It's all about the food chain and the food web. And mercury, since it accumulates in in bodies, since it sticks around in bodies, it's going to get passed up the food chain, right? 
So it starts with the smaller animals and goes all the way to the bigger predatory animals that eat the smaller ones. So that's why a lot of this mercury is concentrated in those larger predatory fish. And then also, you know, we got to take into account that these larger predators, these larger fish, they're going to live longer. So there's going to be more time for mercury to accumulate in them. But why should we even care? You know, how can mercury affect us humans? Well, so just how it does in those larger fish, what's going to happen is that once we eat larger fish that have a lot of mercury or we eat a lot of fish that has mercury in it, the mercury can also get bioaccumulated or build up in our bodies as well. So the more fish we eat with methylmercury in it, the more it's going to build up in our bodies. And that's when it really becomes a serious issue because that can have implications on our health. Actually, the Department of Environmental Conservation of Vermont wrote a great piece on this methylmercury, and I'll link that in the show notes. You guys can check that out. According to them, we absorb methylmercury six times more easily than the inorganic mercury. And it can actually move through our cells that are usually kind of like a barrier to certain toxins. And some of those barriers kind of include the blood-brain barrier or the placental barrier. And those are two, you know, really important barriers that the human body has that we don't want toxins to cross. The main concern with methylmercury is that it's a serious neurotoxin. So it can definitely affect your brain. It can affect your nerves, your spinal cord. You know, it can can lead to memory loss. It can cause permanent neurological changes if it's super serious. You know, some people will have muscle weakness. And it can really cause a bunch of processes in our body to run havoc so there's a bunch of symptoms but the main issue is that it really messes up our nervous system and the brain now it is important to note that you know after a while our body will detoxify mercury like it does with a bunch of other compounds but this can really take time often up to a whole year for those levels to drop again and you know significant damage can be done along the way but i guess the good thing is after all that you can stop the exposure to it if you just don't consume it, and it should then, after a while, your body should get rid of it. You know, there's some other compounds out there that where you, our body can really detoxify. So this we can detoxify, but it takes a while. Now, here's the big question. What does this all mean for us fish eaters, right? Well, definitely don't stop eating fish because of this. Fish is super healthy for us. It has a ton of nutritional value, like a lot. And, you know, it has omega-3 fatty acids that we don't get in a bunch of other foods. It has, you know, really good protein and a bunch of micronutrients. So don't stop eating fish. Instead, a much better option is to avoid consuming those fish that have extremely high amounts of uh, mercury. And you just want to avoid eating those on a regular basis. And like I mentioned earlier, those are usually those larger predatory fish. So for the ocean... What do we got there? Well, we have shark, we have swordfish, we have a king mackerel, the tilefish. And, you know, those aren't really fish that a lot of us are probably consuming every week. Those are more exotic fish. But one that has been shown to be high in mercury that a lot of us are probably eating is tuna. Now, there's some types of tuna that have less, and it all depends on where they're caught. But tuna is definitely on the list of higher mercury fish. That really sucks. You know, I love tuna salad. I make it with some mayo, some lime or lemon, a little salt and pepper. Really good. But it's not just the oceanic fish. And this is not going to be good news for all you anglers out there. You know, I did not like seeing this when I was reading and researching it. 
but there are freshwater fish that also have mercury. You know, it's not just going to affect the oceanic fish because once the mercury is in the air, it can come down over any body of water, really. So as far as freshwater fish go, here we got walleye, pike, and big lake trout. Those are three that can have a lot of mercury. And, you know, like I said, I really don't like hearing about this. You know, I love to fish for those fish. I have yet to catch my first walleye. I know, strange, right? But for some reason, I've never really caught one. I've caught a big lake trout. I've caught a ton of pike. I've eaten pike. I've eaten the lake trout. And they're amazing tasting fish with a not, lot of nutritional value. But sadly, they could have a lot of mercury as well. Now, in the show notes, I have a couple links of graphics from various government sources, you know, that show a bunch of fish in their mercury levels. So definitely check those out. But here's an important thing I want you to realize. My goal with this episode is in no way, shape, or form to convince you to stop eating fish. The benefits of eating fish, like I said earlier, definitely outweigh the negatives of mercury. I'm just trying to help you guys become more conscious consumers. And I think you need to know about this mercury because it can become a concern if you overdo it. So personally, what I have done to kind of reduce my exposure to mercury is I've just switched to eating smaller fish mainly. Like I've, I haven't eaten tuna in a while. I pick smaller fish like sardines, anchovies. And that's because they're not very high up in the food chain, right? They're the smaller fish and they don't have a super long lifespan. So that means they're usually going to be much, much lower in mercury even if they're like a predatory fish. So they are actually considered to be safer to eat. And that's actually also why I focused a lot of my fishing efforts, my freshwater fishing efforts on smaller fish lately. So, you know, ice fishing, I've really been going after um, panfish. So, you know, something like perch, bluegill, or crappie. I love crappie. And then also, you know, as far as stream trout fishing goes, you know, just catch the smaller trout and eat those and they taste amazing. And also, you know, I'm an angler, so I love fishing. I love eating fish. I'm not going to stop catching and consuming fish like walleye, lake trout, pike, all those bigger freshwater predators, because one, it's a great experience fishing for them, and two, they're just delicious. But, you know, I just won't make those a weekly meal. Now, if you are an angler and you are worried about this mercury, what you can do is look at some uh, local consumption advisories. You know, many states or cities might have data on the amount of mercury levels in um, the bodies of water in your region. So definitely check that out. Now, hobby chefs out there, listen up. The unfortunate truth is that this methylmercury binds to the proteins in a fish's body. So that means it affects all the tissue, including all that tasty meat. And sadly, there's no way to remove it by cooking or cleaning the fish in the kitchen in a certain way. No fair, right? Like other wild foods out there, certain plants, for example, they might have toxins in them, but we can get rid of those toxins through you know, certain cooking processes or by, for example, leaching them in water, like um, acorns, for example, right? Before consuming them, they get ground up and then they get leached in water to get all those tannins out. And that eventually makes them edible. Now, there's one more important factor I need to bring up. Because one of the things that protects against the mercury poisoning is selenium. And selenium is a very, very important element that we need. It's an important compound that we need for all these bodily processes. For example, it's really important for our immune system. 
and a lot of our selenium we can get from our diet, from the food we eat. Now what's this whole selenium and mercury connection? Well, a lot of people don't talk about this. But selenium is actually super high in a lot of different fish. So that's good news. If we consume fish that have more selenium than mercury, then we might not have to worry as much about the mercury exposure. But here again, you know, the hard part is really knowing which fish have a lot of selenium. This whole selenium-mercury ratio was brought up to my attention by an article I read by Chris Kresser. And then from there, I, you know, went down a rabbit hole for a little bit. But I linked the article in the show notes if you want to take a deep dive. There will also be a graphic uh, in the show notes that Chris linked in his article and that I'm going to link to you guys now that shows a lot of those different oceanic fish that we eat that have a lot of mercury, but it also shows their selenium levels. And what you'll see is that a lot of those, you know, fish like marlin, for example, have way more selenium than mercury. And, you know, I don't know how far exactly the science is on it. I looked at a couple studies, but it's becoming like a consensus that this selenium can protect against the mercury. Now, this graphic is only for oceanic fish. I could not find much on freshwater fish. The only info I really found was that, you know, the amount of selenium and mercury is really going to vary in freshwater fish, and that mostly depends on the location, so where that body of water is located. You know, if it's highly polluted, then there's probably going to be more mercury levels, but if there's low selenium levels uh, surrounding the soil of this body of water, then there's probably going to be less selenium in the fish as well. I thought this was super interesting, and I didn't see a lot of other articles and people talk about it, so I wanted to bring it up to you guys. But, you know, personally, I'm not really banking on the selenium thing yet, so I'm just going to continue to stick to eating smaller fish that most likely won't have a lot of mercury in them. But who knows? Maybe we can consume those fish super high in mercury if they have enough selenium in them. That's something that science is probably going to figure out more in the future. All right, so now you know all about mercury, how it gets in the fish, and what the concerns are for humans, and even have some solutions of how to get around it. If you're a fish eater, you know, definitely take this into account. If you're an angler and you fish a lot of freshwater, just take into account that some of those bigger predators might have a lot of mercury and that, you know, you might not want to make those a weekly meal. Now, I will have graphics in the show notes or links to graphics um, that governmental agencies have put together that shows like common freshwater fish, common uh, oceanic fish, and it shows your mercury levels or like an average mercury level, which, you know, they created that using data from tests they've done on fish in the past. So you can kind of use that as a pointer to guide your decision making on which fish you want to eat and which you want to maybe, you know, not make like a daily meal. And besides that, you know, if you're an angler, I wish you happy fishing. Ice fishing season's coming to an end, but we're going to go straight into trout season. And, you know, other fish are going to be out there. Like, I'm really excited. I'm going to visit my friend Johnny down in uh, Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And they're going to get me into walleye fishing. Like I said, I have never caught a walleye. And it's strange to me that I haven't, but I really just haven't targeted that fish much. Well, I hope you all got to learn something from this episode. I hope you're a more conscious fish consumer now. If you don't eat fish, I encourage you to because there's a lot of good nutritional value in them. And, you know, people have been eating them forever. We've been eating fish for a long, long time. Uh, in doing this research and doing a research for another episode, I found this cool book called, how it's, I think it's called How Fishing Builds Civilization. And, you know, 
Catching and eating fish has been part of our human history for a very long time. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. I got a lot of cool interviews and episodes coming up, so stay tuned. That's all I have for you guys today. Please, please, please share this episode with your family and friends. Share it in social media. Also, make sure you hit that subscribe button in your podcast app. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. You can either find an awesome subscribe page on my website, which is www.theyearofplenty.com, or if you go to my Instagram or Twitter, my Instagram is at poldywheeland, and the Twitter handle is theyearofplenty. Uh, in the bio, you'll find a link that takes you to all the subscribe links for all the platforms. So it's super easy. You can also, you know, just grab your friend's phone, your mom's phone, or your grandpa's phone, and just, you know, hit the subscribe button for them. Finally, if you like this episode and you could learn something from it, please leave a five-star review in your podcast app. This is just going to let new listeners find a podcast and also allow the podcast to get ranked. And this way, more foodies like you and me can join us in exploring all these foods and food processes. Also, I just want to say thank you to anyone who takes time out of their day to listen to these episodes. And I've been getting great feedback from you guys. So please keep that up. That's really going to allow me to, you know, make the show better and make sure that I'm giving you guys some value. Thank you for listening. See you soon.